Let us pray. Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing to you. You are our strength and you are our Redeemer. In the name of the Father and of the Son, the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So uh, it's been a couple of weeks, uh, not, not too long ago, though, that we, uh, Amber and I, introduced our three little kids to the Disney classic Aladdin. Guys, how many of you guys remember that movie? Right? Okay. I mean, that was just like super important in my childhood. <laughs> okay. Uh, what, a, what a great film. And you remember, you remember in that movie... Um, Robin Williams had this like iconic voice performance as this magic genie character, right? Super hilarious, um, super fun. In that film, the genie character is bound by these certain cosmic level rules. We don't know where they come from, but he's bound by these rules so that as long as his master's wish is phrased in the right way. Like there are some rules on what you can and can't say, but as long as it's kind of phrased in the right way, he absolutely must grant that wish. Now, sometimes I think we can approach God this way. That uh, if only we pray with the right words, he's going to grant our wishes. No questions asked. If, for instance, there's a very popular religious movement today, actually, that, that preaches a certain level of material blessing and physical health for Christians as kind of like this guaranteed right in the Bible. Um, and, and, and a part of this movement is this idea that you have to declare it. Like, I declare that I am prosperous. And, you know, I mean, it's really just positive thinking. This is what this is. Um, but, uh, and there's nothing wrong with a, a level of positive thinking. But this idea that we can just kind of declare something and then God is obligated to come through on that material blessing is, well, it's heresy. Um, and I've always found this kind of interesting. I mean, I've been exposed to this teaching quite a, quite a bit. And I always found this kind of interesting because Jesus, who, who is the person that, Christians follow as disciples actually lived a life of voluntary simplicity. And he gave up everything. And it was ultimately, he was falsely accused, abducted, and assassinated, like definitely living his best life. <laughs> I mean, but he was. That's the thing, right? But it just wasn't maybe our idea of a best life. In reality, the only guarantee we have in the Bible for this present time and this isn't easy to say, but I'm, I'm going to say it because it's true. The only guarantee we have in the Bible for this present time is that actually we must, not that we may, but we must suffer in order to move forward into the ultimate good future that God has for us. It doesn't mean we seek out suffering or anything like that, but it means we're going to have to endure it. St. Paul wrote that we are fellow heirs with Christ. This is in Romans 8, 17. We're fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So, okay, I just set all that up. So then what could the psalm mean, which we all know really well, 
or I think most of us know pretty well. I'll read it for you one more time. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. What is he talking about? Well, the version that we prayed together today from the New Coverdale translation of the Psalms is actually much better than most English translations which say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. In modern English, we think of that like, hey, I mean, I'm, anything I want, like, <laughs> like I'm going to have it, right? Uh, but the idea is actually uh, much closer, much better rendered in the New Coverdale, which we prayed. And you may remember it. It said, the Lord is my shepherd, therefore I shall lack nothing, right? Um, I can lack nothing is actually what it says. I can lack nothing. The idea is that although there's no biblical warrant to think that all of our wants are going to be fulfilled, right? God is not a cosmic genie or vending machine. Our ultimate needs are, in fact, guaranteed to be met. The promise is that we will not lack anything that we ultimately need. And as our shepherd, see, God understands our needs better than we do. Uh, if, if those of you that are parents really get this, right? Like, um, like you know what your kids need in terms of food, and uh, uh, and they have a different idea of what they need, right? Like, can I have uh, you know two huge bowls of goldfish? Uh, no. Uh, why do you want that? I don't want it. I need it, right? Like, no, you don't. You don't need two uh, bowls of pure carbs. Um, and so, you know, God, God, being our heavenly father, knows what we need before we do. And he stands ready to provide anything and everything that we need, not necessarily what we want, though, but anything that we need in order to be fully formed into his image, which is, of course, the image of Christ. So, in other words, God always gives us what we need to be more like Jesus. That's what God is concerned about. He's always going to give us what we need to do what he is asking us to do. And so we can always be confident in that. And so let, let's maybe just think about and rehearse some of those basic ultimate needs that everybody has. And this isn't uh, at the expense, I don't mean this at the expense of our, our, our temporal needs, food, water, clothing, shelter. God is concerned about those things, absolutely. And he intends to um, to meet those needs, sin gets in the way. Uh, and he's charged us as the church, as the church to, uh, to meet those things together for one another and for our neighbors. And the way that he has begun to do that is by kind of uh, uh, recentering us on the ultimate things. So I want to spend a little bit more time on that uh, today. So first, we need a savior. First, we need a Savior because we all have selfish tendencies. Our attitudes, actions, affections, they turn inward. They result in self-destruction. And there is always collateral damage in that implosion. So, so when we become, when our selfishness runs its course, we damage ourselves and we damage the, the people around us. And so we need to be rescued from those sinful powers at work in our hearts, our minds, and our bodies. Second, we need help navigating this world where everybody's like that. Everybody's a little implosion hurting themselves and everyone around them because of sin. And nobody can manage that minefield. Nobody can manage the temptation, deception, corruption in the world without a serious change of heart and mind. And so we need help 
from outside of ourselves to keep our attention and our actions focused on God's goodness, focused on the person of Jesus Christ. And that's how we navigate that minefield. Third, we need healing. We need healing because none of us can heal ourselves or anybody else from all that damage. We need a physician to kind of bind up our wounds and and give us a healing medicine that nobody else can. And fourth, every person has to have hope. It's a basic, ultimate need. We have to have hope. Because without hope, what happens? Humanity spirals into cynicism, depression, despair, and it quickly kind of becomes any society without hope it becomes kind of an every person for themselves in this desperate struggle for the best possible here and now, just for me, regardless of the cost. And that results in all kinds of personal societal issues. And we do that because without hope, the only thing we can imagine is a slightly better here and now. So I want you to know that God meets every one of these needs for us in his son, Jesus Christ. Because Jesus is the son of the father, God incarnate as a human being. And so he was able to live this human life without succumbing to sin like you and I do. And because of that, he was able to give up his own life with such love and forgiveness that sin was undone and death could not stand. At, at, the, at, the, at the risk of sounding a little cheesy here, it's like if we're all just imploding because of sin and causing this collateral damage, Jesus, and we're all doing it to avoid death, right? Because it all comes from the fear of something bad happening to us. That's why we can't really love the way we're supposed to love. But Jesus willingly goes to the cross to give his life up for us in this act of love and forgiveness that is so pure, so good, that it's like there's an explosion of love from that 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 goes out and heals, begins to heal all of the damage done by all those little implosions. So you see, we have a savior in Jesus Christ because his death demonstrated and accomplished the forgiveness of every sin. And although Jesus was really nailed to a cross and he really died there for our sake, he was also really raised from the dead. And he's promised to send us his spirit, God, the Holy Spirit, to live in us. He he dwells in our bodies. He lives among us. And as we begin a process with him, uh, he begins a process with him of making us more like Jesus. And so you see how we have a savior, a helper, and a healer in Jesus Christ. And we don't only have this promise of the Holy Spirit for for like the present time, which is amazing and and wonderful in and of itself, but but we have this, um, an even greater, if I can dare say that, because we love the Holy Spirit. We love having the Spirit in the present, but we have hope for, for something even better in the future, where one day after passing through death, we too will be resurrected with new bodies and we'll live forever in a renewed creation where heaven has come to earth 
and that work will be complete and our communion with God and one another will be perfect. And we'll finally, each of us will perfectly reflect God to one another in this new creation, this new heaven and new earth. And we're going to live forever then in the presence of God. And so you see how we have this savior. We have a, a helper. We have a healer and we have a hope all in Jesus Christ. All those ultimate needs have been met already for every person. And that is what begins to then ignite in us the kind of love that, that as we believe this and allow that belief to shape our, our lives, it breaks into uh, our human communities. And we start to see those temporal needs also beginning to be met. And that's why those of us, no one should ever go hungry in the church, right? Nobody should not have clothes in the church. Nobody should not have shelter in the church. And we don't always live that out perfectly, but, but that's the call. That, that, that's part of what God is accomplishing in this. And so one interesting side effect is when we believe those things, when we believe that our kind of needs have actually and truly ultimately been met. And so we can kind of live without fear. One of the things that happens is we find out that we actually have much uh, fewer temporal needs than perhaps we once thought. So we, we find that, that much of the world uh, might suggest that you need things like um, a certain level of financial security, a certain level of physical comfort, a certain kind of social standing. But it turns out we don't really need any of those things at all. We find that we actually have everything we need for this moment, right now, if we are following Jesus. Listen, because we have Jesus. We have everything we need for this moment, right now, if we're following Jesus, because we have Jesus and he is enough. We've experienced the provision of God as our shepherd, as our provider, where we lack nothing in this way as a church in so many ways. I mean, it's not that we don't have lots of wants as a, ch as a church body right now, right? Like, like we all have plenty of wants. I can't wait to get to 100 people back in this building, like singing at full volume and, and, and using our, our hard copies of Book of Common Prayer, just swapping them around, you know, hot potato with the, with the BCP, just germs everywhere, hugging and handshaking like we're never going to see each other again. Like, that's going to be awesome. Uh, I want that. I know you do too. And all that is so great to have. And it's so hard to not have it right now, today. But nevertheless, God has provided each of our needs in unique ways. As we have focused in on his provision for us in these ultimate ways, we see how it's, how it's kind of broken into our, our, uh, our fellowship together, right? Because we are committed to a life of gratitude and worship of God, for instance, because of what he's done, we didn't just say, oh, well, COVID, church canceled, right? That never happened. Now, we've not had as many people as we would like in this building, 
<laughs> no doubt. But you know what? Every single Sunday, we've had somebody here to offer prayers and worship to God with and on behalf of our church and our neighbors. And every single Sunday, we've found some kind of way to share that with everybody else as well. And now, you know, we're able to have some, a small group like this in here together in the, in the building. And anybody that wants to can join in in-person worship at least once or two times a month and sometimes more. And yeah, like it's not like super fun. We have to, <laughs> we have to wear these, these masks and take some precautions and all that. But you know what's amazing is that because we are so grateful to God, we're still able uh, to come to pray, maybe not even as often as we would like, but still together, pray, sing, receive the sacraments. Don't we have all that we need? If we can pray and sing and hear the word of God and receive the sacraments, we have everything we need. And thanks to God's gracious provision, we can even meet virtually. And so our connect groups have been doing that for, for months. And again, because of our thankfulness, our gratitude for God, for, for, for everything that he's, he's done for us, we've been able to, to press through. And, and, and I believe that he has been active in his Holy Spirit to help make us creative and bold and courageous and persevere through the pain of Zoom meetings. <laughs> We've been able to adjust some of the practical ministries that we have so, so that we're still meeting the needs, the physical needs, right, of those around us in practical ways. Our, our bread delivery is still going. Our benevolence fund is still going. So we're meeting these needs in these practical ways. So God has graciously allowed that to happen. And it's all because, it's all because uh, we are responding to his gracious activity, his gracious work on our behalf in Christ. And so he's made ways for these obstacles, through these obstacles. And as we follow him faithfully, we find him leading us still to do everything that he's called us to do. Even our children's ministry has continued as Jen works to support and encourage parents and children and their discipleship to Jesus. It's online. It's a little messy. You know, I, I get, you know we're, we're on Zoom with three kids. It's crazy. Um, but, but it's good. And that's, so you see how all of these things, it's, it's like everything that we need and more that we need that God has provided for us as a church. Now, again, I'm not saying that any of this stuff has been uh, easy, convenient, or, or even necessarily always fun. Super hard. Um, nevertheless, God has given us everything that we need to continue to be faithfully present with him. We talk about this all the time at our church, that we are to be faithfully present with God with each other and with our Sunny Slope neighborhood together. And God has provided everything that we need to keep doing that. <laughs> we still have sensed that call and he's still provided everything to keep doing that. So as you know, and let me just say this too, when we trust in God as our shepherd provider, it also, it doesn't just change, it doesn't just change, uh, change kind of, okay, you know, our, our wants and needs uh, are a little bit more in perspective, right? But when we trust in God as our shepherd provider, 
and we really are confident that everything that we need, he's going to give us, then the way that we give, it's not just more because our wants and needs are clarified, although that can happen too, right? Like that frees up uh, uh, you know, time, uh, money, uh, and, and uh, talent right, to, to, to give, but it changes the way that we give. So, so when we are freed from any kind of fear and we have this trust in God, then we give in this relaxed and loving and non-anxious way. And so we don't hoard stuff at the expense of others um, because we know that God never calls us uh, to, to do those things at the expense of others. Do you remember toilet paper? <laughs> remember that? Like, uh, uh, that it's, just, it's just not a Christian thing to do to really go and like, load up a truck full of toilet paper so that other people won't get any. You know, you know what I mean? But we don't have to do that as Christians. We're free from that. Like, we, we just don't have that compulsion. Um, we, we're not giving out of like this, this uh, desire to make something happen. Like, oh my gosh, if I don't give, everything's going to fall apart. Like, we don't have that attitude because we know God is the one that animates and, and moves in our body and, and whatever he's asking us to do. We don't give out of guilt. We're not afraid of what will happen if we have less than maybe we otherwise would. So when we give, it's like we give out of gratitude for what God has done and this confidence that he's calling us to share with each other out of love to provide for others. And, and what's amazing is when we, when we make that shift in, in our hearts and minds out of confidence in Christ in our and in, in how we go about our ministry or in wherever our ministry is and, and in our giving to others, we actually encounter Christ at work in us and in the church. Because when we, when we make that switch, when we trust God for everything and when we're willing to uh, give up things, not out of a sense of compulsion, but willingly, we start to look a lot like Jesus, don't we? Who always did what the Father was telling him to do. Jesus said, nobody takes his life from him, but he lays it down willingly. So you see, we start to look like Jesus. We start to experience Jesus in one another. And boom, there our needs are met. So sisters and brothers, even in this really uncertain time, it's still uncertain. No, it's still going to be uncertain for a while. Resources might be getting scarce. I get that. Um, we don't know what we're going to have or not have tomorrow. But we do know that we can rest in God as our shepherd provider. We can trust him for this. Rest and trust are just so so related. You know that? When I, when I would do door-to-door uh, -door evangelism as a, as a teenager, they taught us this, um, this illustration. And I don't know if I can really, I don't know if I can really do it where you guys can see, especially on the video, but I'm going to try. Um, and, and hopefully it won't backfire on me. Okay. So that's not, that's not a good idea, is it? I don't know if you guys can see me down here. You, can, you might be able to see the top of my head on the video. You can't see me at all. I've disappeared. Let's see about this. See if I can back this up. 
No, that's not going to work, guys. Okay, so check this out. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to pretend. Okay, so imagine this. This is a chair. Imagine I'm standing in front of it and sitting on it. Okay, and there's this, there's this way that you can sit on a chair when you're about to go somewhere, where you're kind of sitting on the edge of the chair. You know what I'm saying? And your feet are still planted on the floor, and you're you're not resting in that chair, right? You're ready to pop up out. And if somebody came. If somebody came in front of you or, or behind you and kind of knocked out the chair, or kicked it or whatever, you'd be fine because you just you just be on your feet, right? Um, that's that's not how God wants us to approach our trust in Him, right? He wants us to kind of, if you will, uh, get in the recliner. <laughs> okay, so so picture this, right? You're in a recliner. You you kick back that that uh, that footrest. And you're totally in the recliner, right? Um, if if somebody were to uh, somehow like a super strong person grab that recliner and knock it out, I mean you'd be, you'd be on the floor, right? Um, but that won't happen. The idea is that is that our trust in God, our faith in God, is is like is like total rest in Him. It's like it's like giving ourselves totally over to His support. And so when we, when, we get to this, when we get to this place in our lives, um, we can't just say, I'm going to trust God a little bit. <laughs> you guys follow me on this? Like it, it, doesn't, it doesn't really work. It doesn't really work because you're always still going to have that little bit of uh, anxiety. You're, always, you're, you're never going to really... Uh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Because here's the thing, you never really know that the chair is going to hold your weight until you actually sit all the way back in it. And so part of this life that God is calling us to of trust is actually placing our whole lives, all of our needs onto him. So I just want to encourage you today that these are biblical promises that we can trust that he is going to fulfill every one of our ultimate needs. And as we continually turn to him, we can always trust him to give us exactly what we need to draw closer to him in every moment of every day. And as we grow as disciples, and don't forget that disciples are not just you know, 12 people in the Bible but you and I are disciples too. We're followers of Jesus. As we grow as disciples, think about this, we're following Jesus. So as we're growing as disciples, we find that we're always with Jesus. And he is always enough. Amen.